This is Local Color, distributed by Your Public Studios, a podcast dedicated to the artists, entrepreneurs, and social innovators using their talents to make Baltimore and the DMV a better place. I'm your host, Jason V, and on the show today, Councilwoman Odette T. Ramos of the fabulous 14th District. Councilwoman Ramos talks about her path to Baltimore City Council, the highs and lows of civil service, how residents can and should work with the City Council to realize goals for their community, and we also talk about current events like the ongoing BGE controversies and her support for Hamden's Common Ground Workers. As far back as I can remember, I've been passionate about politics. If you've met me and talked politics with me, it's no secret that I'm pretty progressive. I was always up to date on what was happening down in D.C., but I barely knew what was going on in Baltimore. So for 2023, my resolution was to get plugged into local politics. I started reading local news outlets and educating myself on events happening right here in my city. I talked to friends and interviewed people that frankly knew more than me and got their perspective. Finally, and I can admit when I'm wrong, I listened to my wife. She's been pushing me to pivot into politics for a while now. I was hesitant because I felt like we had enough political movers and shakers in Baltimore's media scene. But when I think about it, we really don't. That's why my interview with Baltimore City Councilwoman Odette Ramos is so important to me. It marks the evolution of local color into a podcast that will cover arts, culture, and now politics. My goal is to educate, entertain, and energize my listeners so they can take an active role in local politics and democracy. So, expect more interviews with politicians, journalists, activists, and even media critics. Politics and media are strange bedfellows and have been for a long time. On one hand, media is the fourth branch of the government, and when needed, it's an effective tool for straight-up propaganda. On the other, independent outlets have to juggle pressing for answers while still playing softball so they maintain access with individuals in politics. I could go on at length about these topics, so I'll stop here and let's get into my interview with Councilwoman Ramos. The Baltimore City Council is in the news a lot, but many people may not know what they do, so I started off with one simple question. How does the Baltimore City Council serve the residents of Baltimore City? Sure. So we have three main roles. One is we are legislators. We pass laws that help our city in housing, in various agencies, that kind of thing. The second is we pass laws around zoning um, and land use. So that is uh, a critical role that we play. And then we solve problems in communities and help to interact between the city agencies and um, the constituent uh, when things are not getting done. Um, So, or that they need to be expedited in some way. So we play that role as well. Okay. And a quick follow-up to that. You're also the member, a member, rather, of uh, some subcommittees within the Baltimore City Council. Right. So each, uh, we have 14 members and the um, council president, so 15 total. Each member, aside from the council president, well, depends on the committee, is a, a member of our committees. I serve on the Economic and Community Development Committee, the um, Public Safety and Government Operations Committee, and the Rules and Legislative Oversight Committee. I will tell you that they are the busiest committees. <laughs> we are in session a lot. Um, I am not a member of the Ways and Means Committee, which deals with the money. However, I do attend every single hearing 
uh, because I think the money is uh, one of the most important roles that we also play, which is to pass the budget and make sure that our oversight um, of the budget is is there. So it's a very big interest of mine. Can you talk about your path to uh, city council? I believe you succeeded uh, Mary Pat Clark, who mm-hmm. um, also was a councilwoman for District 14. And I also believe she was the only woman to become city council president. Uh, I don't, I don't she's know. She's the first woman for city first council woman. president. We've had women since her, but she's oh, the okay. first. Mm-hmm. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and for those that don't know, district 14, it's a larger district. It covers uh, original Northwood, Hamden, Roland park. Um, so again, how, how did you uh, come to govern district 14 and, and what was your path to getting to uh, the city council? Yeah, so so I don't govern there. I don't tell them what to do. I don't tell the neighborhoods okay. what to do. I represent them. I, um, I represent them in city council so that they have a residents have a voice um, uh, for policy matters, um, et cetera. So um, the uh, district goes uh, from um, Hamden to Clifton Park. So I also have Darley Park and Coldstream Homestead Montebello, Ednor Gardens, Lake Montebello, um the Waverly's as well so it's uh it's a really great wonderful diverse district and one that is extremely active we have leaders all over the district that are not afraid to tell me what uh is going on in the neighborhood um which I am grateful so I have been in Baltimore uh for um a little over 30 years and I came here to go to Goucher College and in that time frame, I've been very active in helping communities thrive with community organizing, and I also had my own um, consulting firm for a while working with um, community development organizations, so I've always been very interested in community. Um, my last job prior to uh, running for office was I was the executive director of a statewide nonprofit called the Community Development Network of Maryland that really worked to get more tools to address vacant properties, keep people in their homes through tech sale reform and through rental assistance, and then also making sure that we have affordable housing. So I'm grateful that I can do all of those things now also as a council person. Yes, I succeeded uh, Councilwoman Clark. Uh, She has been in office on and off since 1976. So she is a legend here. Also the first woman council president. Um, she had decided to retire and I have always had a great relationship with her. Um, Mm -hmm. so I'm really grateful that she supported me in the run to, to succeed her because I also knew there were going to be huge shoes to fill because she just has done so much for the district and for the city. And I had also just kind of wondered if I could make more of a difference in the things that I care about and that Baltimore needs um, by being in the advocacy community, which is extremely important, or being in in city government. So I'm trying it now. Um, I do love it. I do think that we are making a lot more progress than if I was um, not here. Um, So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I got her support when I decided to run to succeed her, and I'm grateful. Um, I worked really hard um, and I had very formidable uh, opposition, but my career, um, my 30 years in Baltimore really helped me be ready because it's not just about running for office and looking good. It is about actually doing the work and the work is much harder than running for office itself. So you have to have some expertise coming in so that you know what your agenda is. 
So I'm grateful that I had all of that experience prior to becoming a council person um, in order to, I think, do uh, make a really big impact, even as a freshman legislator. You know, I did run for office earlier in a different district um, and was unsuccessful, but that's okay. You, you generally lose your first and then you get in the next time. But um, yeah, so so I think uh, I'm, I'm having a great time. I love it. My the hardest job I ever had, but I love it. Um, it's it's great. Awesome. Uh, and we're gonna talk about how losses inform you uh, in a little bit. Um, just a quick follow up when you were talking about your path to city council. Once you received the endorsement from uh, Councilwoman Clark, did she also act as sort of a mentor um, during your campaigning and the uh, election cycle where you ended up becoming a city councilwoman? Uh, she's always been a mentor to me. I uh, met her first when she ran for mayor in 1995, and we kept in touch um, since then. I helped her with some things in the neighborhood. She had always been um, helpful to me. Um, so she's always been a mentor. And of course, now, certainly during the campaign, she was extremely helpful, um, not only influencing, but also advising. Um, and then certainly as a council person, she has really given me just amazing advice whenever I, I needed it. Um, she has always been a, a support. And actually in Baltimore, we have a really um, fantastic network of women legislators, both at the state level for our delegates and senators, um, also at the council level. Um, so I'm really grateful that um, so many people just continue to to be mentors to me. Um, you know, uh, Delegate McIntosh, um, who's retired now, um, so many. So it's, it's really great to have such a network that supports each other. Um, now, we still need more women in the city council. We only have four out mm. of the four out of the 15. And uh, when uh, Councilwoman Clark first became in office in 1976, there were three. Oh, so we okay. have not made progress. Uh, right. There was one year where we had six or seven, but, you know, so we still have a lot more work to do to to build the bench um, of women who want to run um, and uh, be leaders in, in the city. Gotcha. Now, let's move forward to uh, actual uh, representation and working within your district. Let's say somebody in your district thinks people are driving too fast on their road and they want speed bumps installed. How could a concerned citizen work with their city council representative to get those speed bumps installed? Well, the first thing that anybody should do for any complaint is to file a 311 complaint. And so that is by calling or going on the app or going online. Uh, there is a selection for traffic calming. Um, and you fill in the information and um, say that you want speed bumps. Um, and then I encourage residents to send me the confirmation number that you get from the um, 311 mm -hmm. so that we can track progress um, because that confirmation number is basically a project number that the city follows um, to make sure that things get done. Um, so send those to me. That way we can keep track, but also we can escalate. Um, this is traffic calming is one of the biggest issues in my district. People want speed bumps. Um, we have a new sort of thinking in the Department of Transportation um, that going um, fastest from point A to point B is actually not the way to go. So we're working much more on traffic calming measures. I realized early in my term, the thing that was holding us back from really doing good traffic calming and, and getting all of the requests that I had left over from Councilwoman Clark and everything that I was getting, which was mostly speed bumps, mm -hmm. was money. Money was mm -hmm. the issue. 
So I worked with my colleagues and also colleagues at the state level, and we were able to increase the highway user revenues for Baltimore City, um, which will help us greatly. So we're going to get additional, like a lot of additional money. The highway user user revenues is basically the gas tax, as well okay. as your registration when you um, get your registration for your car, um, that kind of thing. And so that is used for um, highway improvements. But it's it's in the in Baltimore we are using that additional for this kind of traffic calming um, and for um, improvement of uh, of our roads and, and traffic calming facilities. So I'm actually getting a lot more speed bumps this year than I ever have. Nice. Um, but that is an example of how, you know, we understand what the problem is, we figure out a solution, and then ultimately figure out the ultimate solution, not just pushing DOT. They don't have any money, they can't do it. So let's get them the money to do it. Um, mm -hmm. Same thing with, you know, the recycling being only once every other week, um, which yeah, I can't right. ever keep track of which day is which. Um, <laughs> but the solution there was the blue bins crash the system and nobody thought that uh, that would happen. And so what needs to happen is adding more crews. And so we got them more money this year in the budget. So um, it's not always the money is the issue, but in those two cases, um, that's the key. So, but anyway, if there's a constituent issue, just dial 311 and then give your council person the number um, that you get from 311. Um, that way we can uh, work together to, to track it. Gotcha. As you were um, explaining that process, and I really appreciate you talking about that uh, gas tax and the like registration bit that um, like the revenue from that helps pay for the improvements to the road. How do you explain or for lack of a better term, sell that piece to your constituents? Like they say, we want more speed bumps and you're like, okay, but there's going to be like a 1.5% increase in the gas tax. And they say, well, we don't want a gas tax increase. How do you say to them, look, like this is going to pay for that? How, how do you, right. how do you smooth that out for them? Yeah. So that's a good question. That's actually not what happened. The highway user revenues um, and the gas tax is set by the state. It's mm. already set. What we asked for was just more of an allocation to the city. So it oh. wasn't going to be an increase for my constituents or for the city at all. It okay. was it was just saying, here's this big pot. Most of it, you know, it's divided to the various jurisdictions and a lot goes to the state's general fund. We wanted more from the general fund, not taking mm -hmm. from anybody else. We wanted more from the general fund to come to Baltimore City. And mostly because Baltimore City, we don't, the state doesn't take care of our roads like the other state roads and the other jurisdictions each mm. the, the state highway takes care of those roads we take care of them so mm. we deserve and should have more of an allocation and at one point in time uh, a previous governor had cut the allocation for baltimore city because they needed the, and for other jurisdictions because they needed the money for the general fund so that's not so that's all we asked for so it was not actually and that's a great question i'm glad you asked it it was it was not an increase um for uh, for the gas tax uh for residents looking at your record on baltimore.legistar i think that's how mm -hmm. you pronounce it .gov yeah. uh, most of the legislation you've introduced in the last 2 years has either passed or from what I gather, it's like one way or another working its way through the system. Mm -hmm. um, while the victories always feel good and, and bringing this back to what you were saying before about your first run for city council, what do your losses teach you about local politics and civil service as a whole? 
So what happens in legislation, it's either voted down or the chairperson of the committee is just not going to hear it. Um, so I'm really grateful that I uh, have been able to have um, hearings on most of my legislation. And a lot of it, like you said, is working through the system. Um, I did actually have one piece of legislation completely voted down um, in committee, and it was horrible. But I learned at that time, because, you know, whenever you have a loss, you always learn from it. Um, the uh, I, I learned about, um, you know, being better prepared, a little, anticipating what the questions are going to be, um, and uh, really understanding the, the politics uh, before asking for a hearing. It was frustrating. It was actually a, a report bill. It wasn't even a policy bill. Um, so that, but there is a lot of um, sort of behind the scenes, back and forth on it. So, um, yeah, it's just it's frustrating. And then you get up and you just, you know, keep keep going. Um, there have been some some pretty frustrating um, occurrences um, my term so far. Um, but again, we learn from them and, you know, move on. Uh, but I'm, I'm grateful that we've had a lot of really good, successful legislation and more, more coming um, as well. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I continue my conversation with Baltimore City Councilwoman Odette T. Ramos. I'm Jason V. This is Local Color. Stay with us. I'm Jason V. This is Local Color. And before the break, my guest Odette T. Ramos of Baltimore City Council spoke about getting into politics and how residents can make civil service serve them. Now, let's get into more current events and perhaps, depending on who you're talking to, controversial topics. Right now, um, if people are unfamiliar or if they're uh, not too, like, into local politics. There's a controversy surrounding BGE's uh, external regulator relocation mm -hmm. project, mm -hmm. uh, and along with other issues such as like rate increases and the mayor's, some would say, aggressive push to approve the conduit deal. Mm -hmm. uh, how can Baltimore residents feel confident their concerns and wishes about these things are valued with so many stories at every level of government, like state, local, national, with so many stories of corporations and you know, governmental administrations just kind of crushing dissent and getting their way. Yeah, it's super frustrating. Um, so um, local politics is really interesting because you actually do get to see, at least for me, you do get to see the fruits of your labor at the um, end of the end of the year or end of the day. Mm -hmm. um, so in this particular case, there's sort of, there's a lot of levels to what BGE is doing. Um, the first is something that we actually have leverage. And that is they have been horrible about communicating when there are projects in various neighborhoods and warning people that they're going to be digging up the streets. So we had a hearing about that last year and um, we demanded that there be better communication, that even when there's a crisis situation, that they at least inform the council person um, and we have leverage there because we can take their permit away. Mm. Um, now, you know, it's hard with the utility, but they should be monitoring and following the permit if they're going to dig up the right of way. OK, right. so we're making a little bit of progress on that. As a matter of fact, you know, I asked for all of the projects that are planned, you know, 
obviously if there's a gas emergency, this life goes on, but like all of the planned work for every district um, every year so that they, you know, make sure that everybody understands what's on the horizon and that it be translated from engineering BGE speak to <laughs> regular normal people speak to be able to understand what's going on. Right. Um, the second piece is, um, and, and so we are making progress there. I mean, we had so many violations of a bunch of stuff that happened in my district that BGE did without, you know, proper street cuts and all of that. They got fined like you wouldn't believe. And so because they didn't follow the street cut um not just the permit, but also the street cuts policy. They even did something really horrible in one of my black communities. Um, and I was so mad. And I only found out because I actually go in the alleys, right? Mm -hmm. That's what we do. We go in the alleys. They basically, when they were replacing poles, mm -hmm. you're supposed to, when you replace a pole, take a pole out, fill the hole, put a barrier around it so that, you know, nobody's going to get hurt. And then, you know, replace the pole. What they did instead was dig up the old one, keep the hole, put a tarp with the waste on top of the hole, totally illegal, so that the trash trucks couldn't get through. And every single pole up in the street um, in, in this neighborhood um, was like a, you know, $20,000 fine. <laughs> And um, so, so anyway, we, we were able to work with them on trying to be a lot more equitable in how they do their work. Okay. That first piece was what constituents complained about. We were able to take action and we're actually seeing results, which is great. The second piece is the conduit thing that you just um, talked about, which I was completely against. And that was because there was such a lack of transparency and understanding why we need to do this. And unfortunately, we just had zero leverage. Zero as a council leverage because we do have a strong mayor system. The third piece is the gas regulator piece. And there was a state law that said that BGE can install these gas regulators, but only in multifamily buildings and not, right. you know, single family buildings. Right. The constituents have been very loud about this. They're they're unsightly. Um, there's a discussion about whether they're actually safe, all of that. The only leverage that the council has is to be loud. Um, we cannot pass a law about this. This is something that has to be dealt with at the state level and at the public service commission. That's just how it's supposed to go. Mm -hmm. So what we can do is work with our constituents to know how they can push the buttons, right? So testifying at the public service commission hearing coming up, um, telling their stories, you know, et cetera. But it's also something that we have to keep in perspective, too, because um, it it's not happening all the time. It's only if the person is the, the street is being dug up to get a new gas pipe is when these will be installed. So it's not happening all over the city right now. It's very strategically um, placed. So I've had some already installed um, in some of the areas that have been you know done. But also keeping things in perspective in terms of all of the things that we're dealing with in the city, you know, my big issue being vacant properties, which I think is the, you know, if we are able to eliminate those through rehab or demolition, then, you know, we're, we're really solving a lot of problems in the city. 
um, that I want to make sure that my neighbors who are concerned about the BGE, um, you know, get the tools that they need to be able to make the uh, impact. And especially if we don't have any leverage, right. but I also want to spend time on making sure that we're trying, we're really spending time on the big transformational stuff that we have to have, that we have to do. And that's one of the big challenges of the job is that time management between crisis intervention and really working on the big transformational policy issues for which I was elected to do. So I think it's, um, you know, hearing our residents about the concerns that they have and finding ways that they can act on, because this is Baltimore and people don't just sit down and take it, they fight. (laughs) Um, So ways that they can, that neighbors can be concerned about what they're concerned about, and then, you know, can can leverage their voices. Um, and so, you know, that's how I think we can make sure that, that people still feel like, because we're not saying you shouldn't do it. We're saying here are the tools to make sure that, you know, you have your voices heard. Early in July, uh, workers or former workers from the Common Ground Bakery Cafe were, you know, quote unquote, shall we say, fired by way of the owner just closing up shop. Um, reasons for the closure are sparse with two popular theories being, uh, for the closure that workers were uh, beginning unionization efforts, uh, or disputes between the owner of the shop and the building's landlord. I believe the owner wanted to purchase the, the, the building, but the landlord, you know, they wanted like an exorbitant amount, which is like a tale as old as time, to be quite honest. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have any comment on the plight of those former employees and and could they expect any help from the city council in forming a worker owned co-op to save the cafe and potentially their jobs? I have not gotten a clear answer as to why all that occurred. Um uh, this particular landlord is a resident of Hamden. It is not one of the other landlords that owns the rest of properties on the avenue. I don't know if there was a dispute. I've been told that the um, workers were thinking about it, but you know, frankly, they were being treated very well at Common Ground. I fully support worker-owned co-ops. I think that they are what is needed to uh, make sure that people who are workers are able to really own um, part of the business and be so vested that you know, they're going to do the best that they can um, in the business. Uh, I do have several, two that, you know, come to mind are um, the Ace Hardware um, in my district and Red Emma's. So if they want to move in that direction, I'll be able to provide whatever kind of help that they need. Right now, many of them are just in uh, crisis, um, trying to either find jobs. There's, uh, you know, the horrific uh, unemployment that we have in the state. So that's a big thing that we're navigating, um, that they're working with our state delegation. So um, there's, you know, there's things that we can help them with, but I'll be supportive, whatever they decide. Okay. Uh, I was thinking of this question while uh, you were speaking about the uh, employees at Common Ground. As somebody that's lived in Baltimore pretty much my entire life, um, I like to think that my city is fairly progressive. I consider myself a fairly progressive person, and I would you know, venture to guess that a lot of people that are living in Hamden consider themselves especially progressive. But with stuff like um, what's happening with the common ground workers and the whole controversy surrounding Hunfest, as the uh, councilwoman that represents that neighborhood, how do you square that circle of, you know, certain Baltimore neighborhoods professing themselves to be like so open and progressive, but, you know, every once in a while, a business owner kind of lets that mask slip to show people like, 
Eh, we're not as progressive as we would uh, have people believe. That's a great question. Um, one of the things that happened with the Hunfest fiasco was actually the community came out to support Planned Parenthood. I also got a lot of pressure to um, to take the permit away. And I said, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to keep going with the festival. We're going to have Hunfest. We're going to have Planned Parenthood be supported because people wanted to support them. And yeah, there are times when business owners, whichever business district it is, you know, really reveals what uh, their true beliefs might be. I just don't think that that action was really reflective of Baltimore and it wasn't reflective of the community. And so, and they proved it. I mean, Planned Parenthood really did very well that weekend in terms <laughs> of how much support that they received. But yeah, there are times, you know. There's, there's a lot of different controversies, like people want to have more housing, but then, you know, I put a landmark designation on a building so that it wouldn't be 150 apartments because the residents didn't want all of that housing. Do you know what I mean? So there's yeah. times where there's some of those contradictions that come up that we just have to sort of maneuver through um, and hope that we um, get the best uh, resolution, not just for the residents, but just in general for policy sake um, and for, you know, so yeah, it's definitely a challenge for sure. Okay. Um, before we get out of here, I just want to say thank you again so much, Councilwoman uh, Ramos, for uh, taking the time to sit down and, and talk with me. Um, the last question I have for you, are there any initiatives or bills coming across the city council's desk that residents should know about or anything that is going to be a net positive for people in your district, but the residents of Baltimore in general? Yeah, several of my colleagues have some really good bills. We've got um, an environmental bill from one of my colleagues in the fourth district um, to really make sure that we're preparing Baltimore to be more resilient with climate change. Um, I believe that's going to be on second reader in August. I have two really big bills that I've been working on. One is um, inclusionary housing to make sure that we have affordability in areas that are normally not affordable. Um, and uh, that has, I introduced that in February of last year. So it has run into many obstacles, but I'm confident that it will um, be successful at the end of the day. Baltimore used to have a, an inclusionary law that actually wasn't working. So mm -hmm. um, it is part of our affirmatively fa furthering fair housing plan. So we have to have um, a bill. The second is I have introduced legislation to create Baltimore's land bank, which would be a, a quasi-governmental entity that would be efficiently um, acquiring and disposing of vacant and abandoned properties, which is, again, one of the biggest crises in our city. Uh, that hasn't been addressed. And while I think that we're making progress with this new um, in-rim foreclosure process, uh, which is when the liens get higher than the value of the property, we can foreclose. It's it's still you know a, a frustrating situation, and we just need an entity doesn't have to be forever that just acquires and disposes and makes it happen, particularly interrupting in areas that need it most that have been ignored because of the policies that we've had in the city. And so I'm really excited about it. Um, there's a lot of negotiating going on right now about it. Um, I think that the, it's um, it's really, uh, I think, going to be a, a game changer if we, if we can make it happen. So um, there's a lot of great things that my colleagues are doing, both in their communities um, as well as legislatively. And, you know, we we look at every bill and uh, look at it for its merits, but also, you know, what the um, what the impact is going to be. And so it's uh, it's very exciting. It's a very exciting time, I think, to be in Baltimore. 
Councilwoman Odette Ramos, thank you so much for the opportunity to talk with you. Thank you so much for having me. I did want to just emphasize one other thing. Um, sure. I am the um, uh, first uh, Hispanic elected official in Baltimore City. And so I feel like I have a uh, responsibility for the entire city who um, are Latino and um, one of the things that we are working on is a municipal ID program um, that was something that the mayor wanted um, when he was a council person. So we're working to get that implemented and also making sure that people who have uh, who speak other languages have access to city services. We do not yet have any other languages for the 311 system. We are working on it and trying to get at least Spanish um, soon, uh, at least for the um, the app and the website. Uh, so it's, um, it's critical that we are able to be open for those who are coming into our city, um, that speak different languages, um, especially at the school system level and also at the public meetings level. So, uh, we're also working on, on those pieces. Um, so anyway, it's, it's an exciting time. Thanks a lot for having me. I really appreciate it. That was Baltimore City Councilwoman Odette T. Ramos of the fabulous 14th District. Find her on IG at Odette T. Ramos Baltimore, all one word. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Local Color. The podcast is hosted and produced by me, Jason V. The podcast is distributed by Your Public Studios. New episodes of Local Color will be released the second and fourth Wednesday of each month. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. Learn more about Local Color at WYPR.org.